Mandum. Hey, in order to build up a little empathy with you, since uh, I'm coming to you by video this morning, and that's a little bit unusual, I'm going to tell you a sad story about uh, myself. Has to do with uh, uh, my high school junior prom. Because you see, much as many of you might not believe it, I actually had a date to my high school junior prom. And oh man, she was a beauty. My heart was a flutter. Heck, everything in my whole body, it was a flutter. And I had worked up the courage to ask my 16-year-old love of my life to my junior prom. Now, my love, while not exactly unrequited, it wasn't totally shared, at least at the depth of which uh, I felt it. Um, I mean, she, she was a vision of beauty in her Air Supply concert T-shirt. And she was willing to go to the prom with me. It was simply a matter of time now, and it was just a matter of choosing what color pastel tuxedo I was going to wear in 1984, because I thought we had a deal. Until, that is, some guy named Steve Ratner from Lake Apacon, and I'm guessing one of you probably know him in the audience this morning, until he asked her to the prom. I got better dealed. I mean, all my hopes and my dreams, they were dashed. I thought I had a deal, but it wound up with me spending prom night home playing Space Invaders on my Atari like a loser. Now, I'm hoping there was an audible awe in the room right now. There should have been. But I want you to know the hurt. I mean, I'm almost over it now. And so, in all seriousness, thanks for letting me come to you via video this morning. I'm out of town celebrating a family event this morning. Um, but here's what I promise you. If the Holiday Inn in Salem, Virginia has Wi-Fi, I am actually with you right now watching live on Facebook. So here's the deal. Everybody, stay awake during this teaching because I'm watching the back of your heads. If I see one head bob, I'll be chiming in. Now, this is the first time we're doing this, teaching by video. I know a lot of churches are doing it, but uh, this morning I wanted to give it a shot, mostly because I wanted to keep tracking with, with all of you and your small groups as we continue our study of God's great self-revelation statement in Exodus chapter 34, where he tells his people, he, he tells them his name and what it means and who he is. These verses, as we've talked about, are the most repeated verses in the Bible by the rest of the Bible. And what we've seen together so far, and this is so important, is that our image and our understanding of who God is, it shapes who we are and how we live. So that's why I've been encouraging you to memorize these verses. So towards that end, and remember now, I'm watching. Can I ask you to do something weird and say it together with me, even though I'm on video. So, let's do it together. Let's press it into our minds even further. Here we go. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So, 
as we've been working through this statement uh, of God about himself and, frankly, in honor of my mid-1980s broken heart, I want to focus this, focus this morning on who Yahweh, the great I Am, says he will be. And so this morning, I want you to see, and I want you to know this, God, unlike my Aquanet inflated high school girlfriend, I want you to see that Yahweh wants you to know that he is, quote, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. All right, so uh, to get started, just really quickly, I want to give you a quick little Hebrew lesson. Yahweh says that he's abounding in two things, uh, faithfulness and love, love and faithfulness, or in the Hebrew, hased and emet. Let me start with a said. I love how John Mark Comer described his said. He said, this is a sweeping panoramic word that we really have no equivalent for in the English language. That's why the translations are all over the map. But mostly, you know, maybe the easiest way to translate it would be steadfast love or unfailing love or covenant loyalty. And what I want you guys to understand here is that Yahweh is trying to get across to his people this, this concept of a said. He really wants you to know this concept of a said because he repeats it again. And we talked about this a few weeks ago that if something in Hebrew is repeated over and over, it was a way for the author to accentuate something. In Hebrew, uh, God was trying to get across this, how important this concept is. God, when he says that he's abounding in love and then maintaining love to thousands, what Yahweh is saying is that his said is one of the truest things about who he is. He is abounding in his said. He's spilling over in his said. He's way past capacity in unfailing love and loyalty. Now, emet, literally the word there means truth or trustworthy. It carries with it this idea of reliability. You see, you need to know that you can trust, you can count on Yahweh. It's a big deal. Now, Yahweh, in this revelation of himself, he takes these two words. He takes said and he met love and faithfulness, and, and he mashes them together. And when you do that, when you link those two words, it had a significance in the original Hebrew. It was called uh, grammatically ahendiades, meaning that those words, when they were used that way, they would complement each other. They weren't meant to stand alone, that they were to feed off of each other. So what, what Yahweh wanted you to know this morning, church, is that he is love, and as proof of his love to you, he's faithful. God's love is acting, it's doing, it's a love that pursues and chases and won't leave you alone. Sometimes even if, you, even if you're trying to get away from him. I mean, he, he won't leave you alone. I said, and he met. That's why it's such a big deal, because uh, Yahweh, he says it twice. It's important. And one, one huge reason is it's because, I mean, I have to be honest with you, you've never experienced Hesed and Emet. Yahweh, again, while we're made in his image, sin has really mucked us up. I mean, we're, we're really deeply broken in a lot of ways. Yahweh is not, and he's not like that. And when it comes to love and faithfulness, 
Sin often trips us up. We get better dealed and we better deal people all the time. Yahweh does not. Yahweh, you need to know, and he really wants you to know, he won't let you down. Now, you and I are not used to this. The truth is, I mean, if we're honest, and you've been in relationships, you, let, you get let down all the time. And if we're even more honest, and we just spend a little time in self-reflection, we, we might start to be open to the fact that we let people down all the time. Think about it, right? I mean, in the world we live in, when life gets hard, so often, I mean, we bail. When things aren't easy anymore or, or fun or novel, when life starts to get difficult or, or a relationship becomes uncomfortable or, or, or an activity is boring, we leave. But as Comer points out in, in this work that, that our small groups are working through in his book, God is a Name, we leave jobs and cities, we leave churches and friendships, we leave marriages, we cut ties, we move on. Here's what Yahweh wants you to know, and it's so significant. Yahweh is not like that. He is faithful. He never, ever abandons his people. Yahweh is faithful to the bitter end, no matter what the cost might be. And there is a cost for Yahweh to be faithful. There is a cost. We'll see it in a second. It was a huge one for him. And when you understand it, maybe you'll start to trust that he's not leaving you. He's never abandoning, abandoning you ever, no matter what the cost. Now, that sounds great. A lot of times, theology preaches really well. But then you get a little bit of life under you, and you take a couple of punches to the gut. And maybe you're hearing that this morning and you're going, uh-huh, yeah, I know, John, that sounds great, but if Yahweh can get trusted, if he can be trusted, whatever the deal is, whatever the deal is, he's going to keep it. If that's true, then why can't I get a job? If that's true, John, if Yahweh can be counted on, then why won't my kids talk to me? I haven't seen my grandchildren in years. If Yahweh can get, be trusted... Why is the car, why did the car swerve into my lane? Why is he now with the secretary and not with me? Why am I still looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright? I'm not getting any younger. And I know if you live long enough, you might start to draw certain conclusions about Yahweh, things like he's not keeping up his end of the deal. And I get that. I mean, trust me, I get that. There have been... Not a lot. I've been, I've been a fortunate person and a blessed person, but there's been moments in my life where I've literally been banging on the dashboard while driving home and yelling at God about the pain in my life where maybe I haven't said it audibly, but I certainly felt it deeply. God, you're not keeping your end of the bargain. I mean, God, I've done a lot of things. You know, I, 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 I quit my job and I became a pastor and, you know, you're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not doing what I think you should be doing. You broke your promise, Yahweh. You didn't keep the deal. As your pastor, I have to tell you like I have to tell myself. When we try to hold God to those deals, here's the deal. Yahweh never signed up for those deals. 
Remember, and this is so hard for us, and I'm going to keep bringing it up. Yahweh doesn't relate to us. He doesn't love us and interact with us transactionally. This is not, you did more good than bad, so now I'm going to bless you. That's not who Yahweh is, and he keeps trying to show us and explain that to us. I mean, we try to make it that. We try to cut deals with God all the time because I think if we think we can cut a deal with God in a sense that lets two things happen. It lets us control him. And when we can control him, then in a sense it makes us God. But we mess it up in the Christian world all the time. I mean, heck, if you were to drive down to the Christian bookstore, you would see that that whole industry, much of it, is based on trying to teach people how to get Yahweh to give them what they want. To cut the right deal with Yahweh, to get Yahweh to perform for them, to get their best life now, or, or to enlarge their flocks. But Yahweh never signed up for that deal. He never promised to be faithful to that. Yahweh never said that as you follow me, you'll live a trouble-free, rich life. I mean, honestly, Jesus made the exact opposite promise. We don't crochet this one on pillows either. But, but Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, when I say that, I want you to understand, it's not that God doesn't want you to live a good and satisf satisfying life. Of course he does. Any good father would want that for their children. But if you think that this is all about a transaction with Yahweh, and that you have to keep up your end, and maybe you think to yourself, I have kept up my end, but there's no ring on my finger, or there's no check in the mail. When you relate to Yahweh that way, thinking that there's a deal that, that's in place, and that you've kept your end of the bargain, and he's not keeping his, here's what I need you to know, you're not going to actually know Yahweh, and that's what he wants so much. You won't trust Yahweh. Your view of, of God will become warped. Because, because if you keep trying to hold him to deals that he never promised to be part of, you're going to start to think that then he's not interested in you and that you're on your own and you're going to have to make everything happen by yourself, that, that you can't count on God, that he's not going to come through. Now listen, I've seen this happen. Living life that way when you start to lose trust in said and admit that God is loving and faithful, when you start to lose trust and you start to live as if you're on, on your own and that he's not going to be there for you, that can lead you to some really dark places. That can lead you to some very lonely places. When you believe this about God, that he can't be trusted, that he's not going to live up to his promises, when you believe that about God over time, then it will become true of you. Hased and Emet. His love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is driven by his love. He can be trusted. In fact, he'll keep his end of the deal. He'll do more than that. So what is his deal to which he promises to be faithful? There is this incredible... Old Testament story. It's a weird story, and so it doesn't get talked about in church often. And it's about 
deals and faithfulness. In, in ancient times, when you would, when you would have a, a deal with somebody, those deals were sealed in what was called a covenant. It was kind of a hybrid between a promise and, and a legal contract. It was relational. You'd have two or more people that would make a promise and they would sign a contract. There would be a, a clear blessing laid out for keeping it and a clear curse laid out for breaking the promise. I mean, the closest thing we have to something like this today is marriage. And you often hear it in a marriage ceremony, the priest or the pastor will say, you are entering a covenant. In marriage, right, there are promises exchanged for fidelity and love. Contracts are signed. Uh, literally, I, I sign a marriage license. Uh, so do the bride and the groom, and, and so do the witnesses. Blessings and consequences related to keeping and breaking the promise are understood. Now today, look, we have divorce courts for those broken promises, and we have alimony and child support. But what about in ancient times, when there were, were no police that would come to your rescue, or, or judges, or courtrooms? How would you enter a covenant in, in Abraham's day? Well, here, here's this story. It's a crazy story, but it's important you understand it. Here's what you would do. First, when you were about to enter into a covenant with somebody, you would go and you would get some animals, uh, like a cow or a ram or a goat or a dove. And then now here comes maybe the kind of first century gruesome part. Those animals would be slaughtered. Literally, they would be chopped in half. And then what you would do is you would lay out the halves, uh, each half of each animal, in a line with space between them, kind of forming an aisle. And you would stand side by side at one end of the aisle, and in front of you would be all of the animal halves, and you and whoever you were entering the covenant with, you would state what you were going to do to uphold your end of the bargain, what your deal was in this. And then the two of you would walk between the halves of the animals while you said something like, May I become like these animals if I don't hold up my end of this covenant. Now, fast forward to today, right? Imagine a modern day wedding. You know how the bride and the groom, they turn around right after the pronouncement of marriage and they walk down the aisle on, on a, a white runner. Imagine instead them walking down an aisle splattered with blood and carnage and saying to each other, reciting as they walk out in front of family and friends. If I fail to love and honor you while richer or poorer and in sickness and in health, if I fail to remain true to you and forsake all others, may I become slaughtered just like these animals. Now, my guess is that if this was the norm, I would probably be doing a lot less marital counseling because we might the visual there might actually make us take these covenant promises a little bit more serious. By the way, if you've ever said, we're going to go cut the deal or cut a deal, this is where that language comes from. And so there's a crazy story. Abraham and God are going to cut a deal. Some of you know the background to the story. If you don't, just quickly, God had come to a man named Abram, whose name would be changed to Abraham, and, and said to Abram, uh, and told him to leave his country and his people and his father's household, and without much more instruction, he's told, he's told to leave, and he leaves, but he's promised that if he does, that God will make him into a great nation and bless him, and that in blessing him, all people on earth would then be blessed through him. 
That was the deal. That was the promise. Abraham was going to be blessed. He was going to become the father of a great nation. And that nation would be, become a blessing. The world would be blessed through him. And so Abraham goes. But he goes and he runs into some trouble. And did I mention he's really old? And so is his wife, Sarah, like way past childbearing years. And so Abraham, he has this promise from God. God has made a deal with him, but it's not going all that well so far. If you know the story, Abraham winds up, his life winds up in trying to follow this God away from his family. His life winds up in some significant danger. And so between his age and having an infertile wife and fearing for his life... Abraham starts to deeply wonder and fear over if God is going to keep the deal. Now, Yahweh knows this because he's not far off in distance. He, he's ever-present. And he, he comes again to Abram. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord... What can you give me since I remain childless? You've given me no children, so a servant in my household is going to wind up being my heir. Yahweh, you appear to be a lot less than Hesed and Emet. Yahweh, you made a promise, and I don't think it doesn't seem like you're keeping it. I left my dad's house, I left my people, and so far, nothing. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who's your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so Yahweh, not only does he kind of double down on his promise, on this, this crazy promise that doesn't seem like it could possibly come true, he takes it a step further and he tells Abraham this, he goes... I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. Here's why I took you out, to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, I mean, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of it? I mean, how can I know? And why does he say that? Because he doesn't have a, a, a real root-level trust that, that, that Yahweh is Hesed and Emet. He, he's essentially saying, how do I know you're going to be good to your word? How can I be sure, God, since I don't really trust you and I don't really see the blessing? And so the Lord said to him, I love this, he just says, bring me a heifer and a goat. You can almost see, see Yahweh saying, all right, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And what I love about the scripture here, as soon as God tells Abraham to go and do this and to get the animals, he doesn't need to tell him what to do with them. Abraham knows exactly how promises, Abraham asked for a promise, he wanted to know. Abraham knows how covenants work. And so the very next scripture says, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. So Abraham and anyone else reading the story, they know what's about to happen. Abraham and God are going to, I mean, this is crazy enough, okay? This is a God that enters into covenants with man. And so uh, just if, if that was just the only amazing thing that was happening here, that would be beyond what, what people of Abraham's day could comprehend. But Abraham goes and he says, I guess I'm going to enter into a covenant here with God. And, and we're each going to walk down the aisle and we're each going to make some promises and we're going to have a covenant to keep them or else. And if they don't, if I don't keep my ending, it, 
you know, he's God. Since, so I guess if I don't keep my end, you know, there's going to be that whole blood animal thing laid on me. So Abraham does it. He goes off and he gets these animals. And God, God then proceeds to tell Abraham all sorts of things that are going to happen to his people. And the sun sets. But instead of getting up to walk down the aisle of covenant with God, Abraham, the scripture says, falls asleep. And then in the dark, quote, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now that's a crazy ending to the story. Maybe it makes no sense until maybe you come to an understanding that, that the author, when he spoke of a blazing torch and a fire pot, those were representing the presence of Yahweh. And so what happened as Abraham slept? Yahweh walked the Isle of Covenant alone. In this crazy story that you rarely run across, Yahweh is the only one who passes through the Isle of Covenant. The story starts with something very familiar. Everybody at the time did that, but then it takes this unexpected turn. In the story, Yahweh commits to upholding both ends of the deal. Even if Abram fails to do his part, Yahweh is showing, is, is telling, is foretelling that he will be hesed and amet to his promise. His faithfulness born out of his love will go and does go here beyond what could be expected. Abraham, and th this promise extends to you. This promise extends to you. It extends to me as a follower of Jesus Abraham and you and I are being invited to trust God that even if Abraham makes a mess of all of this, even if he doesn't hold up his end of the deal, even if you don't, this God, he's not going anywhere. Abraham, even if you mess up, and you, if you know the story, he messes up. Yahweh says, look, I'm going to hold the deal. I'll be true to it. I will still rescue and save the world through you and your offspring. I love how Comer wrote it. He said, and if blood has to be spilled, it won't come from Abraham. It will come from Yahweh himself. He's willing to die and become just like these animals just to keep his promise to bring the world back to life. And Abraham, he does, he struggles to keep his end of the deal. Israel, this people, this nation that was raised up, that God raised up to be a blessing to the world, well, they struggle to keep their end of the deal. They doubt and they disobey. They walk away. They get caught up in sin and disbelief. Sound familiar to anyone? And so in theory, there would be a price to be paid because God made a deal for his people that out of this line of Abraham, a rich blessing for all nations would come. But Abraham and all that would come after, they fall short. There's a price to be paid for that. And so who pays the price for, for blessing, the blessing of all the nations and all the people? Yahweh does. See, Jesus, who, who claims to be Yahweh incarnate, he, on the cross at Calvary, 
he becomes just like those animals. And in so doing, he fulfills the promises of God that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed and made alive again. This is Yahweh. You see, when Adam is unfaithful, he is faithful. When Abraham is unfaithful, he is faithful. Isaac, Jacob, Peter, Paul, unfaithful. God never walks away in disgust. He's always faithful. He walked the Isle of Covenant alone. This is not a God holding out on you because you didn't keep up your end of the deal. In fact, listen to me now. Because we try to cut deals with, all the, with God all the time. Understand this. God is not interested in cutting a deal with you. The deal was already cut a long time ago and the price was already paid. And by faith in Jesus, you and I are invited into the promise and into the blessing. And he will keep his promise to remake and restore this broken world. He will keep his promise to be with you and near you, to comfort you and to give you peace in a fallen place. And it is not reliant on you. You just simply have to come in faith and believe. Because, because friends, this is not about a transaction. This is about trust. Faith. See, Yahweh, he's not like us. He brings the blessing and he also bears the cost. You see that? He doesn't leave when things get tough. He doesn't take off when something better comes along. And so what, is, what does it mean? What does that mean? Well, for one thing, it means this. I, this is so important for you to hear if you get your heart broken enough by others who you have loved and who have not been faithful, whose love has left, if that happens enough to you in our world, it happens a lot, there's a good chance you're going to learn over time to not trust anybody, to not give your heart to anyone. To, to always hold a little bit back, to always have a little in reserve, to be cynical of, some, of the promises of others. Now, you may have learned to or sworn that you're never going to love again or trust again. And when you bring that, because that's what the world teaches us, when we bring that into this relationship with Yahweh, you too will not let go to him. You will keep him at a distance. You will never fully embrace and trust and hope and walk with him. You'll never enjoy him the way he desires you to enjoy him. You'll never rest in him or abide with him. Now, you might even begin to make excuses for him because you're afraid that he won't keep his deal, so you hedge your bets with him. But guys, understand Yahweh. Yahweh is a jealous God. He's not looking for your best efforts or your sacrifices or your gifts. Here's what he's looking for. And it's hard for us to give because so many people have broken their deals with us. He's looking for your heart. And hearts are hard to give. See, in a very real sense, Yahweh is a lover like no other. He is like no other person you have ever known. He can be trusted. 
no matter what you do, he will not let you down. He is not leaving you. He is not going anywhere. This is not a transaction. This is about trust. You will not be better dealed. Trust him. You know you can, you can trust him with your kids. You can, you can sleep at night. You can trust Yahweh. You can trust him with your plans and your hopes and your dreams. Bring them to him. He's interested in them. He loves you. Trust him. Open your heart, maybe in ways never before. Don't make excuses for him. Don't hedge your bet with him. Trust him. Now, here's the second thing I want you to know. It might not always feel like he can be trusted. I mean, it didn't for Abraham right away. I mean, for a long time, there was no kids and there was no land, but he was faithful. Now, here's the thing with the promises of God. They might not be fulfilled when you want them to be fulfilled or how you want them to be fulfilled, but he is not going anywhere. He will be faithful. His promise was never that you were going to marry your dream spouse. His promise was never that you were going to get famous or retire at 40. God's promise is that he will bless you so you can turn around and do the same thing for others. And one day in time, he's going to return to finish that job and he's going to set all the crooked things straight. You can 100% count on that. It is going to happen. And, 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 and. If Yahweh is faithful, if this is who he is and you really, really get that into your head and your soul and your heart, as you finally find some rest in it, as it allows you to breathe easier, sleep better, can it not help to make you the kind of person who's a little more hased and a met too? The kind of person who maybe, just maybe, would kind of swing things in a countercultural direction and, and not be the first to cut and run when something doesn't happen right or somebody doesn't hold up their end of the bargain or where things aren't easy or going perfect. That's not what Yahweh does. And neither should you. Yahweh walked the Isle of Covenant by himself and he kept both ends of the deal. So let me ask you, church, who are you forcing down that Isle of Covenant? Who are you forcing to, to keep their end of the bargain? Who are you trying to make like those animals to get them to pay a price for whatever they did? Who are you extracting a cost from for breaking the deal? What an incredible image of love and faithfulness this Yahweh is. Husbands, with your wives, what end of the deal do you feel that they haven't held up, that, that you've allowed all because she hasn't been exactly what she said she was going to be, she doesn't look the same, she doesn't act the same, she doesn't treat me the same, and you've allowed that to fester and bring division into your home and, and your soul and drive a wedge into your relationship. 
I don't know who told you this, and if you go to most of the weddings I, I, I speak at, I always share the same story, but here's the short version of it. I don't know who told you that marriage is a 50-50 deal. Marriage is a covenantal deal, and it's a reflection of this covenant. It was supposed to reflect husbands. You're supposed to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Yahweh walked the aisle alone. He both blessed and bore the, bore the burden of the blessing. Now, wives, let me ask you the same question. What expectations have you put on your husbands? What ideal or promise are you holding him to that, look, I'm sure he screwed up. But do you too understand that Yahweh, he is faithful even when we are not? Is it possible, is it possible that you might be willing to be that too? The culture would say, no, somebody's got to pay. Yahweh says, I will. And maybe in some places and in some relationships in our lives, we could say that too. Yahweh. He is love and he is faithful. Church, a steep price was paid in order that you might be blessed to be a blessing. And so to whom now do you need to be has said and met? To whom do you need to love enough that it moves you out of your seat towards faithfulness and action? He's keeping his deal to you. He's keeping his deal to you. He's not going anywhere. He will bless you and keep you and make you a blessing. Open your hearts to Yahweh. Go now and be a blessing.